Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21, a very well-known prayer of the Apostle Paul. And I thought it's a very appropriate passage for a time like this. And I've chosen as my theme, how to pray in a time like this. Let us go to the Lord at this moment then, and call upon Him for help. Lord, we are pe like people before you, people who are busy drowning, and we call upon you for help and salvation. We know that you have saved us by the death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, but we do come once again asking for help, asking for you to rescue us in times of darkness and difficulty, in times where the devil, as always, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Thank you that you are our salvation. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my shield and the rock of my salvation, my strong tower. We hide in you, Lord, seeking protection from the storm and ask that you would guide us with your mighty right hand. Amen. So we're going through hard times. Um, people in our church who are very ill of COVID, uh, people in the church who are struggling financially because of the economic crisis, people in our church who have got other illnesses and various other trials we're going through at the moment. And it's in a time like this we need to learn how should we pray. And this is where Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 comes in. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So the first petition we should pray is, we, we should say to the Lord, You are my Father. That's in verse 14 and 15. You know, some children, they're so afraid of their dads, it's almost like a slavish fear. They don't have any confidence to ask, their parents for something, or their fathers for something. And many of those same people, they reflect that upon God. They're the same when it comes to God. But it's totally unnecessary, because God is a perfect Father. And His door is always open for us. And Paul knows this. And that's why, in verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. I come to God as my Father. I bow my knees. With passion, I bow my knees 
with humility, I bow my knees in reverence and awe and respect. And what he's going to pray for, especially in these verses, is that, that he would know God's power and that the Ephesians would know God's power and his love, especially because they said that he's in prison. Verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Verse 1, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. They know he's in prison and they said about it. And, and many of our people in our congregation, you, you are sad and it's uncertain times and you don't know what to expect and what is coming. Well, pray verse 14 to 19 for yourself. Pray this for other believers. Pray this especially for those who are suffering. And you bow your knees before God in humility and you pour your heart out before God and you thank God that He is your Father. It says in verse 15, He's, he's, the, uh, he's our Father. And then it says in verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So he's the Father of the family of angels and cherubim and seraphim and other heavenly beings. He's, he's the Father of all spirits, uh, Hebrews 12 verse 9. And then it also says, not only every family in heaven, but every family on earth is named. So the idea is the whole family of believers the whole generation of believers in heaven and on earth, God is their Father. So there's no believer, there's no Christian community, there's no Christian congregation that falls outside the care and the love of God our Father. And even when you die, you remain His child and He remains your Father. And now, now, this is, obviously we should understand, this is only for those who believe in Jesus only for those who have Jesus as their Savior, then you can say, God is my Father, and I am His child, as we learn in Galatians 4, 4 to 7. And I don't know if we can say, is, is there a greater privilege and a greater comfort in a time like this than to know God is my Father, I'm His child. It's like, it's like being in a time of war and a time of famine, and being able to say that the strongest, the most powerful, and the richest king on earth is my father. Second petition that we pray in a time like this is, strengthen me through your spirit. And that is in verse 16. You know, when, when one trial upon another comes, then we say it never rains, but it pours. So how do you come through times a time like this? Well, the answer is in verse 16. Verse 16, God is very rich. There's no limit to his riches. It speaks in verse 16 of according to the riches of his glory. The riches of his glory. God has enough grace and enough strength, enough power, enough love, more than sufficient to fill you a trillion times over. Every one of us a trillion times over. And then even, even if, he, if he did so, and once he has done that, it wouldn't make the least impression, or uh, that's the wrong term, terminology. It wouldn't in the least take away any of his riches, because God is an eternal being. He's an infinite being. As we read in Job chapter 11, in verse 7 to 9, 
Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It's higher than heaven, what can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. So you can ask for as much grace and as much power and as much of a sense of God's nearness and God's love as you wish for. Ask as much as you want. You will not exhaust the mine of God's glory. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory. Psalm 145, in verse 3, we see that God's greatness is unsearchable. 147 verse 5, there is no limit, there is no end to his power. Isaiah 40 verse 28, when God gives power, it's not as if his power becomes less. God can give power, his power is not exhausted. There is no end to his mercy. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. God is like a power station that just keeps on running, unlike South African power stations. And we need this power of God in our hearts. We need this power so that we can understand just the immensity of his love. Verse 16. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then he continues, why do you need this power? In verse 18, so that you can understand the love in verse 18 and 19. And we need it, especially if 2021 is going to be anything like last year, or perhaps worse than last year. And so you cannot be like a Buddhist, a Buddhist who thinks that he can rely on his inner strength, his so-called inner strength, inner resources. We don't have inner resources in ourselves. We need the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's what we should pray for, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And if you have this strength, then you can be truly strong. Truly strong in the inner man, though your outer nature is wasting away, though bodily you become sick and weak and ill and perhaps even go through the valley of the shadow of death. Inwardly you have power through the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. Third petition. Third prayer request. Please dwell in me. That's in verse 17a. That's what we pray in a time like this. How do you understand verse 17? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. How do we understand that if Christ is already living in us through his spirit? He lives in every believer. He dwells in every believer. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. Romans 8 verse 9. I think how it works is it's like buying a house. So once you purchase the house, you pay for the house. The house is yours. But it's not a home yet. It's not, it's not your home yet. It's your house. But it's not. It's not homey and the way you want it, the way you want this house to be. You still need to change and paint things differently and move things around and perhaps break out a wall and build a new wall and put in new kitchen cupboards to make it the way you want it to be. And it's exactly the same with Jesus. So although Jesus already lives in you as a Christian, he wants to change your heart into a, pla a, a place where he feels at home. That's the point of verse 17. So that's why he, th he chucks out, he throws out 
the old furniture of sin, and he replaces it with a new furniture of the fruit of the Spirit. And so slowly but surely, he's changing this house. He's changing your heart. And he's changing you so that you become a house where he really wants to dwell and he feels at home. You become more and more like Jesus and he lives in you by his Spirit. So verse 16, the Spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, Christ now dwells in you. So it's Christ dwelling in you by his Spirit. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He sends the Spirit to be with you and in you forever, Jesus said in John 14. And if you obey his commandments, then it proves you truly love him and the Father will love you. And Jesus says, and we will come and make our dwelling with you. We will live with you. And that happens through faith, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So if you believe that Jesus will be for you everything he promises in his word, so you believe his word by faith, and then Christ dwells in you. And I, I had to be reminded of this quite recently. So I told you um, what a month ago, more, no, two months ago, that for more than two decades I had this battle with impure thoughts. And then suddenly, it's yes, it came over years, but it was also in a moment. All of a sudden, it's like the Lord revealed to me in His Word. He enlightened my heart to understand how to take these thought captives and make them captive and make, make them obedient to Christ, how to overcome these impure thoughts. But then, then some time ago, I was tempted again. Just actually a week ago about, I was tempted again with impure thoughts. And I didn't battle them as I ought to have done. And as, and as I knew, and as the Lord had, had taught me how to battle and fight and overcome these thoughts. And the next morning in my quiet time from Jeremiah, the Lord showed me, you don't believe me. You don't believe me. This sin that you're committing is the sin of unbelief. Because I have promised to be enough for you. I have promised to satisfy you with myself, but you don't believe me. You believe the lie of sin, the lie of Satan's temptation, that sin can make you happy and it cannot. I've promised to be enough for you. And then the Lord helped me to see and to be reminded, I must say, believe what God has said. He will be enough. Christ will dwell in your heart through faith. He will satisfy you. Fourth petition, give me strength to understand your love or to know your love. It's in verse 17b to verse 19a. So D.L. Moody had this experience in New York. Ian Murray writes in his book Pentecost Today, where Moody, he says it's almost too sacred to, to relate this experience and to tell of this experience. But he needs to just share that he was praying and it's like wave upon wave of God's love just overwhelmed him. And he said to the Lord, please stop. Please do not reveal more of your love to me. Let me not experience more of this because I do not have the strength to contain it. Or else give me the strength to contain it. And he said, I went back to preaching again and, and my sermons were different. But conversions were in the hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were converted under my preaching from that day on. And he said, if you would tell me to not have that experience and you'd give me all the world, all the world with its riches and gifts would be like dust on the scales. I wouldn't want that. I want this experience of God's love. And we need the Spirit's power 
so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. We saw in verse 16 that the Spirit would strengthen you, would strength, strengthen with power through His Spirit in you and you being wise. 17, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. But you also need this power of the Spirit so that verse 17b can happen. Um, that you can that you can know God's love, 17, 18, 19. Now, we, we understand something of this already through the cross of Christ, so that we are rooted like a tree rooted in the, in the soil. We are rooted in Christ's love, verse 17b, that you being rooted in love, we are we, we like a building on a foundation. We are grounded in love. So we've got the object of understanding and experience of Christ's love when he died on the cross. But now we can pray and we must pray for a fuller experience of this through the Spirit. God has poured his love into our hearts through the Spirit. By the Spirit he has given to us. Romans 5 verse 5. And then verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So we want a fuller experience of this. And in order to experience this in its fullness, you need to be part of a church. You need to be part of the body of Christ, verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. John Stott says, quote, it needs the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God, end quote. How will you know the fullness of God's love if you just, you withdraw, you on your own, you one side? Will you not understand more of this love if you're part of a church where people pray for one another, especially when we go through difficult times, go through hard times, where people bear one another's burdens, where people share with one another, where people serve one another. Verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. All the saints, we want to understand this love. And it doesn't stop with our own congregation or your own church. With all the saints, we understand this love even with Christians from other churches and other countries. I've got two examples of this, and I can give more, but I think two is sufficient to prove the point. A couple in our church lost their son. Their son died of COVID. But when their son was sick and in hospital, Christians from all over the world, literally from all over the world, prayed for them. Christians they had never met before. Or when my daughter was in hospital last year, Christians she had never met phoned her. They sent her WhatsApps. They bought data for her so she could keep contact with us because we weren't allowed to visit her because of COVID. People gave money for her to see a plastic surgeon for this wound on her head to fix this. People gave money. Christians we had never met and she had never met gave money for her to see a nutritional scientist. So it's wonderful. We praise God when, when people in our own congregation serve one another. And yet, in a, to a certain extent, in a certain sense, you see more of the love of Jesus. And it becomes clearer when Christians you have not even heard of start serving you and praying for you. That's what verse 18 means. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is this love. And we should do the same for one another then. I think, for instance, of our uh, brother in Afghanistan, the persecuted church, and we've started supporting him financially. You know, Christians in the mission field and, and believers in other churches, 
when you, when you start supporting them and serving them and praying for them and letting them know that you're doing so, it's like, they, it's like you, you're letting them know you are not forgotten. The Lord will send His helpers to meet your needs. And they're so encouraged by that. Verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is this love. Please understand, you cannot understand the love of Jesus. Realize this, you cannot understand the love of Jesus as you ought if you withdraw. If you're all on your own, you don't mix with other believers. If you really cannot help it, you're ill and you can't meet with them or there's some other very good reason why you cannot gather with believers. That's something else. And then Jesus will come to you personally and encourage you, as in Acts 16, where Paul and Silas are in prison, or in Revelation 1, where John is on the island of Patmos, a prisoner, and he cannot gather with believers. Then Jesus comes to you and he meets with you. But in general, you must be part of a church if you want to understand, fully understand and experience this love. And then you will understand, verse 18, the breadth and length and height and depth of his love. So the breadth of his love, verse 18, it's like, it, it's like this love hugs you. It's, it puts its arms around you. The arms of Christ come around you. They surround you. And this love is so wide, it's so, it's so broad, it even includes unbelievers. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is a love without bottom or shore. So don't think that you are the one person on earth that the Lord does not love. The Lord does not love you. You're the great exception. No, you're not. No, you're not. The Lord Jesus will love you, even if your parents did not. My father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Can a mother forget her child? Even a mother can forget, but the Lord will never forget you. So that's the breadth of his love. What about the, the length of his love? The love of Jesus is like a ruler. And children will understand this. They use rulers in school. It's like a ruler that it, it has no ends. It, it starts nowhere and it ends nowhere. And so the love of Jesus for his people, it goes from eternity to eternity, the eternal past to the eternal future. His love never ends. Psalm 136, again and again the refrain. There's no end to his mercies. His mercies endures forever. His mercy endures forever. And then in Isaiah 58, in verse 8, and in verse uh, 54 at least, Isaiah 54, verse 8 and verse 10, the prophet says, In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face for you, from you, but with everlasting love, everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Verse 10, When the mountains may depart, the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. It's an eternal love. I've loved you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31, verse 3. Jesus loved his own, his disciples, to the limit, to the end, John 13, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never ends, it never fails. Faith, love, and, uh, faith, hope, and love, these three abide, and the greatest of these is love. He loved you from before the foundation of the world. He chose you in Christ. In love, he predestined you for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. 
So that's, that's the length of his love, the height. Also in verse 18, just like a PhD in math, it, it just, it's too high for a great R child to understand. It's too high. It's like it passes right over his head. And so God's love is too high to understand. It reaches to the heavens. His faithfulness, his steadfast love reaches to the clouds, says the psalmist. God loves you with the very same love with which he loves his very own son. John 17 verse 23. Jesus prays that. Father, the world will see you loved me, or you love them as you loved me. That's the, the height of his love and the depth of his love. In verse 18, God's love for you is so deep that he left heavenly glory, he left his home in heaven, and he hung on a cursed cross, on a cursed tree, so that you could be with him. That's how deep it goes. He comes right down to the depths of our human need, even our human sinfulness and hopelessness, and he comes to save us. How can we fathom the depths of God's love? How can we plumb the depths of his love? What do we really understand of the love of God? And why do we so easily doubt the love of God when things go badly with us? He who did not spare his own son, how will he not freely with him graciously give us all things? Graciously, what the love of God, the love of God. So pray for power to understand and to know the love of God. When he says that you would know this love, we're not talking here about a mere intellectual knowledge. We're talking about an experiential knowledge, an experimental knowledge, an intimate knowledge, a personal experience of the love of God, something you cannot learn from books. It's like that, that knowledge in Genesis 4 verse 1, Adam knew his wife even she became pregnant. That's not an intellectual knowledge. That's an experiential knowledge, a personal knowledge, an intimate knowledge. This is a love too great for the human mind, for the human understanding. Verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. All the libraries of the world does not have enough place, enough shelves to explain, enough books to explain what this love is. Why? Because God is love. Who can explain God? And if you want to experience this for yourself, then the Holy Spirit must take you to the cross and leave you there and teach you what the love of Jesus means. And then you will know this love that cannot be known, verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then even in the deepest darkness, you will lay your hand on your mouth and you will be overwhelmed with the love of Jesus. And you'll worship him. Fifth petition, fifth prayer request, the thing we pray in, in times like these, a time like this is, we pray, fill me with your fullness. That's in verse 19b. So the Okavongo, every year the Okavongo overflows its banks. It really starts in Angola with a rainy season, lots and lots of rain, and then it flows down through Namibia into Botswana, and the river overflows its banks and it, it runs out into a massive delta and it forms a watery paradise for birds and animals. 
That is exactly what Paul is praying here. Verse 19b, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So the Holy Spirit strengthens you in the inner man, verse 16. Christ dwells in your heart, verse 17. The Father fulfills you with all his fullness, verse 19. It's amazing. It's amazing. That the God that fills heaven and earth, the God that even overflows, if you could call it that and, and say it in that way. God that is Lord, God that is larger than the universe. The universe cannot contain him. The highest heaven cannot contain him. 1 Kings 8 verse 27. He fills the heaven and earth. Jeremiah 23, 24. You go to heaven, he's there. You go to Sheol, he's there. You go to the east, he's there. You go to the west, he's there. God is everywhere. This God. That he fills you with his fullness. Verse 19. He dwells in the highest heaven and also with those who are humble and have a contrite heart. And if this God fills you with his fullness, that means he's always with you. That means he will never leave you nor forsake you. That means that he will care for you as if you are the only person on earth. He's always with you. And so God's presence in you means that his power is available instantly when you are weak. His love is always with you. Always. You are not praying to a God who is far away. You are praying to a God who is closer to you, nearer to you than your own breath, nearer to you than even your thoughts. Number six, sixth petition. We pray in time, a time like this. We pray. I know that you can do all things. That's in verse 20. Martin Luther wrote to Desiderius Erasmus and he said, Erasmus, your thoughts concerning God are too human. He criticized Erasmus because Erasmus had spoken of God as if there were certain so-called small things that God will not do or cannot do. And you know, we are often the same. It's like we want to limit God, as if God can only work in certain ways. So God, for instance, God cannot and never will make a donkey speak. Well, until it happens. God can do anything. Nothing is impossible with God. And there are many verses in Scripture that prove it. I've got a couple here. And I'm not even going to give you the references. You can just go look it up on your, your own. Just Google verses that show God is omnipotent. God can do anything. Nothing is impossible with God. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Our brains are too small to even pray or to even think of the things, the possibilities, the things God can do. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. The wonders that you have seen in your own life, the wonders of creation, even the miracles of the Bible, 
These are just the outer edges of God's power. This is, as Job 26.14 says, this is the whispering of God's power. We do not have an idea, the vaguest, the faintest idea, a clue what the almightiness of God, the omnipotence of God really means. And if we did understand this, well, it would have changed our prayer life. It would, have, it would have changed our prayers. So we wouldn't have merely prayed, merely prayed for our little problems and for our loved ones. I'm not saying we wouldn't have prayed about it all, at all. We do. But we wouldn't have stopped there. We wouldn't have kept on asking God for grains of sand if he, if he says, here's a feast to enjoy. We would have started praying for whole countries and nations and the generations to come, and for revival, and for things that have an impact on eternity. And we would have known very well God can answer these prayers. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So we wouldn't have, have fallen into the trap of the prosperity gospel where they pray for such ridiculous things. For little things like earthly wealth. No, we would have despised praying for such things because we have become aware of things that are a trillion times greater than that. And we would have known it is to God it is like nothing for him to answer those prayers. He's able to do far more abundantly. Far more. And we would have known that God can do these things Verse 20, through the Spirit who works powerfully in us, according to the power at work within us, that comes from verse 16, strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. And because this is so, please let us not, let us not merely pray for the things going on in our lives right now and going on around us. Yes, do pray for them, but let us learn to pray for great things. And we pray with faith, we pray with the fullest belief God can answer these prayers. And then the final petition, verse 21, number 7, is glorify your name. Sometimes God allows us to come into desperate situations, desperate times, desperate measures, desperate trials, Things we can do nothing about. It's as if God removes the crutches from you. And he wipes all your plans and organization and learnedness, everything. He just wipes it off the table. And then, then we land in a position where we realize God is our only hope. We have no other hope than God. And then when we call upon the Lord in those times, he shows his power. Like the Israelites at the Red Sea, they had nowhere to go. The sea is behind them, the wilderness on the one hand, mountains on the other hand, Egyptians coming. They had nowhere to go. And then God showed his power. And so in those circumstances, God alone gets the glory. And that's what's going on in verse 21. So if, if God then comes in times like these, and he comes with his supernatural power, and he fills us with his immeasurable and immense 
and insurpassable and unfathomable love, then we glorify God alone. So everything begins and ends with the glory of God. Verse 16. According to the riches of His glory. Verse 21. To Him be glory. It begins with the love of God, or the glory of God. It ends with the glory of God. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him alone be the glory. Amen. And we see this glory especially in Jesus. Not only in, in Jesus being as God, in Jesus' divine nature. Yes, that too. Jesus prayed that the Father would again give him the glory he had before the world began. And, and Hebrews 1 verse 3, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. So yes, we see the glory of God in Jesus' divine nature, but not only there. We also see the glory of God in Christ. As Christ shines his own glory through the church, verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Christ is the head of the church. The church is called in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 23, the glory of Christ. Jesus has chosen to be incomplete without the church, just as a head is incomplete without a body. Ephesians 1, verse 22. God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Chapter 4, verse 13, again speaking of Christ in the church. Until we attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature and manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus washes us as a bride is washed for the bridegroom. So now the bride reflects the glory of the bridegroom. Just like a lake reflects the beauty of the snow-capped mountains. And so we will reflect as the church of Jesus Christ. We will reflect of Christ our head. We will reflect his glory now. And we will reflect his glory until Jesus comes and brings all things to an end. And we will reflect that, it says, throughout all generations. And we will reflect that glory, verse 21, forever and ever. When Jesus comes forever on the new earth. Amen. So let that become our greatest prayer in this time in which we live. Let us pray. Glorify your name. I know, Lord, I know that I cannot make your glory greater than it is because your glory is perfect. But please let me just be a little window for the world to peek through. Let me just be a little reflection of your glory that others may see your glory in me, especially through my good works and my works of love and my prayers and my attitude in times like these, in difficult times. And so, so that when people see this glory, they may glorify you. as happened with one of our members in the past week. This member is going through a hard time, difficult times financially. And I sent a message and said, I'm praying for you. How are you doing? And this is the answer I got on WhatsApp. I'm trying hard to remember that I must not make God's glory small and my problems big. Because it's not about my little life here on earth. It's about God. And about the perfect life to come.
the perfect life we have with Him. You see, that kind of WhatsApp, it shows something of the value of Jesus. It shows something of the value of Jesus. That it is better to be with Jesus in the storm than to be in wonderful sunshine without Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it is my request and my prayer. Help us to see that and not forget that. To pray. Glorify your name, Lord. Even in times like these. Amen.